Good morning, church. How you doing? Oh, come on. You guys can do better than that. Good morning. All right. Raise your hand if you got a string on your wrists. As a reminder, everybody's got a string on their wrist. Great. If you don't, there's strings galore. There's Who says galore anymore? Is that an old school thing? All right. So uh, before we start this video, I just wanted to welcome you guys, let you know that we have an incredible kickoff Sunday, and we are so happy that you are here today. Uh, we hope that today will be something that will transform the way you think about uh, Jesus and the way you think about what it means to love Jesus and share that love with other people. So with that, I'd like uh, to just uh, have you direct your attention to this video. This case will serve to prevent similar abuses in the future. I was a driven guy. I had grown up in the Depression years where I saw neighbors standing in bread lines. I was going to get to the top no matter what. No matter what. Because I wasn't going to ever be caught in the position that I saw my parents in. I won't say I didn't have a conscience. I did. Uh, I had a, almost a self-righteousness about me. Self-righteousness is the worst enemy of all because you can't see your own sins. I ended up going to prison because of that. I have committed my life to Jesus Christ. I can work for the Lord in prison or out of prison. That's how I want to spend my life. I discovered they're all like I am. I suddenly realized I'm not any different than these guys. I'm not any better than these guys. I committed a crime too. Mine was, you know, nobody got killed, but uh, we both prisoners. We had that common. I want to stop crime, but I want to stop it by the only way it'd ever be stopped, and that's changing the human heart. The problem is not education. The problem is not poverty. The problem is not race. The problem is the breakdown of moral values in American life. Exactly right. And the criminal justice system can't respond. I came to love men, I came to know them as brothers, men that before in my life I'd have gone to any lengths to avoid meeting or being with. But above all, I saw the miracle of how God works in the life of man. I can, I can tell you that this has given me a new understanding on how to live the second half of my life, and not with the, with the understanding of what I can get or what I can attain in life. The first time I met Chuck Colson, I was in state-issued clothes in prison. And he shook my hand and told me that there's a different way to live, that there's a, a path that I must take. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? Where is the hope? I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? The hope that each of us have is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or, or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country. That's where our hope is in life.
Amen. I want to get back to the story of Chuck Colson a little bit later in the message, but first I'd like to say welcome to our middle school students. Uh, can you raise your hands if you were here last night, all night, you slept in the church? Anyone else sleep in the church last night? These guys are awesome. Thank you for doing that. Uh, so at 8 o'clock last night, they became prisoners of the church, and they were incarcerated here, and as a result, they went to a swimming party, and they went to a bowling party. We have some pictures of the stuff that, you know, just good, wholesome activities here. Uh, then they had games, uh, and then they uh, engaged in, in stuff we didn't want to have pictures of, and then something like that happened, I'm not quite sure, and then uh, they didn't fall asleep. The one thing that we know that they didn't do is they didn't sleep, but they had a great time, and we're so glad that they were here. <laughs> that, that is like the epitome of middle school for me. Um, but I, I have to say, it's a great day because this is the beginning of, uh, you'll be released from your captivity in just a few minutes, like, and we'll have a pancake breakfast. But it's also the launch of, a, of, of middle school for some kids. And it's the beginning of, of a new spiritual journey that will happen in their life. And, and for me, it was a big part because I discovered more about God's love for me and I learned more about how to love other people with that love. And it's an exciting thing, not just for you guys, but it's an exciting thing for us. So thanks for letting us uh, put, embarrass you and put you on the spot, because that's what middle school is all about, folks. So, um, so with that, uh, I would also like to say that, that it, the message today is all about being there for each other. It's about being there for one another. And so with that, I'd like to, to direct our attention to the scripture for today. And that is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse uh, verses uh, 1 through 9, and then verse 15 and 16. I have watched for the... Or we could just watch that video again. Either way. So Hebrews chapter 13. These are the words of Paul written in a letter to a group of people who are working on uh, loving one another. So let's, let's hear these words today as they come from Scripture. Let, let mutual love continue, Paul says. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that... Some have entertained angels without knowing it. What an amazing idea to entertain angels. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured um, as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in high honor by all. And let the marriage bed be kept undefiled for God will judge the fornicators and the adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Remember that song we sang earlier? Praise him, praise him. In the night I will praise him. In the light I will praise him. Offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of, of lips that confess his name. And then it says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, 
this, this middle schooler thing, I'm not ready for because I have a kid that's one-year-old, a kid that's a two-year-old, and a kid that's a four-year-old. And right now, they just want to see me. That's what they do. They want to be with me wherever I am. Wherever I am, they want to be there. I heard that when it gets to middle school, according to parents, uh, friends of mine that have middle schoolers, the last place they want to be is next to mom and dad. Is that true, guys? Uh, like the last place you want to be is near your mom or dad. That will break my heart. But when I come home, I see a middle schooler hugging a parent. Good job. Okay, so a couple of them. Sorry. <laughs> a couple of parents not letting go of their middle schoolers. Um, but when I come home, my kids run to me, and they hug me, and they miss me, even if I've only been gone for five minutes, <laughs> you know? And, and I love what my son does. I don't love it, but he cries. He just cries when I leave. I walk out the door, and it just starts crying. That's how much he misses me. And then my two-year-old daughter, she says this to me every day. She says, Daddy, why do you have to go to work? <laughs> and it's really hard to explain. I don't know. Um, and then my daughter, my oldest daughter, this is her, Ella, she always says to me when I come home, Daddy, I really missed you. That's the best feeling in the world. But also kind of heartbreaking that I, in a way, I abandon her <laughs> all the time. And last night, I tucked her into bed, and I, I said to actually, she was already tucked in bed, and I really wanted to kiss her goodnight because I just missed that opportunity. I felt like I really missed it. And so then I snuck in. Don't worry about that. They're making pancakes for you later. I, actually, someone should go check to make sure they're alive. Um, and anyway, so they, they, uh, I went into her, and she was almost asleep. Later in, the, later in the conversation, she said, Daddy, why did you come in here? But that's another part of the story. But I, I went in and gave her a hug, and I said to her, I could tell that she doesn't like it when I leave the room. I said, you know how Daddy leaves the room? Yeah, 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 I know that. I know. I said, God won't leave the room. God will be here all night long with you. And he'll be with you tomorrow and every day of your life forever. God will be with you. And you can see the kind of light bulbs going off. And I'm doing that whole like pat on the back, like, yeah, good dad teaching your kid. But really it's that mo- when you tell your kids about Jesus and you see the light bulb click, you can realize that these are little, little nuggets that they keep with them forever. I, I just love that we have this opportunity to walk alongside our kids and to tell them how much Jesus loves them. Has anyone ever told that to you? Do you remember someone telling you that either in middle school or when you were a kid? Do you remember someone telling you that Jesus would be with you and Jesus was with you? And have you ever cashed in on that? Have you ever had those moments where you're just kind of alone in a room and uh, I'll tell people, no one's going to know. You won't be very embarrassed because you'll be the only one and Jesus. So no one will know if you do this. But just get on your knees or, or just fold your hands or just acknowledge God's presence and start talking to God. No love lost, no cred lost. Just do that. You know, um, there, there's a story that I heard about two guys who were in a shipwreck. And it's not a real story, it's a joke. I know, it's, it just, just throw it out there right now. But two guys were shipwrecked and they were stranded and they landed on this deserted island. And the first guy said, he went all over the island to see if there was any food. He said, there's no food, there's no water. We are dead. We are not going to make it. Nobody knows we're here. And the other guy says, don't worry about it. Just relax, it's fine. And the first guy goes around looking again. He comes back, he says, there is no water. We are going to die. There's no food. There's no one knows where we are. And the other guy says, don't worry about it. 
I make $100,000 a year. And the first guy says, wait a second. I don't think you understand. We're going to die here. No one knows that we're here. And the other guy says, no, no, no. Let me reiterate. I make $100,000 a year. And I, actually, sorry, he makes $100,000 a week. That's a bad part of the joke. Okay, he makes $100,000 a week. And he says, I tithe 10% of that every single week. So my pastor is going to find me, I guarantee you. (laughs) I saved that joke. Woo, that was so close. But, you know, I do hope that the end of that, that story is where the pastor does find him. And when he does rescue him, he says to him, it's not because of the money. That it finally sinks into him that, that his value is not a monetary value. That, it, that the love that a Christian has for another Christian is not based on wealth. And Paul even says this to remind the church. He says, make sure that you don't succumb to the temptation of loving money in your life. So important. I love this scripture that Paul lays out all of these things. He says these different things that you should do with your life. One is to open up your house to strangers in case they should need a place to stay. What a vulnerable thing, right? And then the other one was to to go and remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them. And then to care for the mistreated as though you were being tortured or mistreated with them. To care for them in that deep way. And then to, to... to really honor the marriage commitments, to not deviate from the marriage commitments in this life, and then to not love money. And the list goes on and on. And honestly, as I was preparing this message, I thought, what do any of these things have to do with each other? They are so random. It's just this bizarre list of four things that are smashed, crashed into each other, and they really didn't make any sense to me the whole week. As I was praying about it, I've written five sermons today, and It's okay if afterward you say, you should have preached the other four, but that's all right. You know what? All of these have to do with whether or not you turn your back on another person. Love one another with mutual affection. Open up your home to strangers. Care for the prisoners. Care for the mistreated. And care for those people who are being tortured. And never, ever, ever violate your marriage vows. Your promises to one another. It's all about being there for one another. It's all about being faithful to one another. But you see, the last thing that Paul would ever want to create is a checklist. Do you know that? Paul does not like checklist Christianity, and he doesn't think it's Christianity at all. Where you start to say, okay, well, here's my checklist. If I don't neglect to do good and to share other things with other people, then suddenly I'm going to experience spiritual fulfillment in my life. Paul would rail against that. He'd say that's absolutely the wrong way to go about it. Instead, if you look at the very heart of this verse, it says, God says to the people of Israel, and this is a quote that Paul uses that has been repeated. It's been repeated to Moses. It's been repeated to Abraham. It's been repeated to Joshua. And if you don't know who those guys are, they're just really crazy guys that needed to hear this. These are the words. I will not forsake you or abandon you. It's like that sign over there on the wall that we've had there for two years. I'm sorry it hasn't changed, but it's awesome. God with us. And you can always say that. You can never say God not with us. God is always with us. He is always with you. You may think that you are not with God, but God is always with you. I promise you that. God is always with you and for you and wants the best for you. And if anyone has ever told you differently, come, let's 
let's just experience the joy of what it's like to love one another with God at the center. So, okay, Chuck Colson is this guy. He was Nixon's, if you, okay, you guys are all talking about dirty politics this year. Everybody's like, oh, those are the dirtiest politicians I've ever seen in my life. Well, you know, Nixon was a great guy, actually, in a lot of ways. But there was some pretty shady, sketchy stuff going on in the Nixon administration. And one of the guys that was helping with the shady, sketchy stuff that was going on was this guy named Chuck Colson. He was all about himself. He was all about promoting his ideals. And he said to himself, he said he was the most self-righteous dude in the world. His way was, it was either his way or the highway. And then he got caught. And this whole crew got caught. And the feds came to him with a plea deal. They said, Chuck, if you just admit to this crime over here, then we'll let you off the hook. You just have to admit to it. Well, there's a problem. A couple of weeks earlier, Chuck had visited a friend of his who was a prominent person in business. I think he was a lawyer. Um, and he actually sat down with the guy and he said, hey, hey, I noticed something different about you. Uh, what is it? And the guy started to tell him about Jesus. And it's as though a light bulb went off in his head. And he started to meet with these guys, this group of guys that this guy had formed, and, and they started to talk about Jesus, and he was changed. And he was transformed. And the problem is that when the feds finally offered him this plea deal, I bet he wishes this plea deal had come a little bit earlier, like before he had become a Christian. The problem is he didn't do that crime. And he said, I'm a Christian. I can't admit to a crime that I didn't do. And his attorney said, you're crazy, you won't go to prison. You will be off scot-free if you just admit to this crime over here. And he said, I didn't do that crime. He said, but I did do this crime. And they threw the book at him. And he went away for longer than any of the other guys who were, who were um, charged with crimes through the Nixon administration. And as a result, he ended up starting a Bible study inside of the prison where he was at with other guys in the prison. And they started to talk about Jesus, and they started to study the Bible. And as they did this, he developed a relationship with these guys and learned, as he said in the video earlier, that he's no different than the other guys. And as he was about to leave, because his sentence was shorter than most of the guys that he was meeting with, the other guys said, don't forget us. Please don't forget us. So he promised that he wouldn't. So even though he was released from prison, he spent the rest of his life in prison, ministering to prisoners through something called prison fellowship. And do you know what the, the scripture that is at the heart of his whole entire prison ministry is? This scripture from Hebrews. It's the scripture that says, remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them. But the place that his passion for prison ministry came from wasn't from reading this scripture that commanded him to do this, but it was from someone telling them that God is with him. From someone telling him that God is right there beside him no matter what, and that he doesn't have to worry about God abandoning him in the nighttime or in the daytime or any other time, that, that he can guaranteed be assured that God is going to be with him every step of the way in his whole entire life. It's such good news, such amazing news. And the way that Paul sets up this argument in Hebrews is that he talks about all the times in history that people have, have heard these words, do not be forsaken, for I am with you from God. Or I will not forsake you and I will not abandon you, excuse me. I will not forsake you, and I will not abandon you from God. 
And it becomes this thread, this thread that, that weaves throughout history of God saying this again and again and again and again. But Jesus Christ comes into the midst of this thread and he, he brings shape to it. He makes it beautiful in a way that otherwise seems chaotic. You can't make sense of all the stuff that's been happening in the world. And then you put Jesus Christ in the center of it and suddenly this beautiful design pops out. And you realize that there is order to the chaos. That God is the creator, the one who's taken chaos and created this entire world. And he's also taking your life and he's making a beautiful story out of it. Every painful thing that has ever happened, every nail, every misguided step, he is going to take and he is going to weave into the tapestry of this thing called Jesus Christ. Paul also was famous for saying, all things are brought together in Jesus Christ. Wait a second, just take that in for a second. I don't even get that. All things are brought together in Jesus Christ. Good luck on figuring that one out. All things are brought together in Jesus Christ. What about this? Yep, that too. All things come together in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? So, a couple of things I wanted to encourage you to do this week is to wear this string on your wrist. And you might wear it for a month. I've worn it for a day. And this morning, when I was taking a shower, I wasn't thinking about Jesus, and then I ran into this thing, and I started thinking about Jesus. But even more, I hope that someone in your life says to you, why do you have that string on your finger or on your wrist? This is a huge finger. A string on your wrist. And I want you to, I mean, I hope that you would feel comfortable in saying it's it's a reminder. It's a reminder to me. So it's actually a reminder for me to love you because God's with us always. It's just a reminder that I got at church for me to love you. That's it. See where that conversation leads you in your life. And I think that you will find that maybe you'll have an impact on a Chuck Colson, someone who's headed into the toughest time of their life, and as a result, it becomes the most transformative moment of their entire life becomes the moment that, that shapes sermons and testimonies all over the world of God's goodness. Today is kickoff Sunday. I'd also like to, this is total transition moment, by the way. Today is kickoff Sunday. I'd like to bring up a friend of mine that I met this last week. Uh, his name is Zeth Lee, uh, and you can wear the hat. That's okay, because there's uh, uh, UCLA fans, please divert your eyes. But uh, Zephly is here. Thanks for coming. Brave, brave soul. Zephly is a uh, running back, a former running back for the USC Trojans, uh, which was, is a small team around the corner from here. If you've never heard of them, they're whatever. Not as good as Boise State, in my opinion, but that's okay. Well, blue fields are cool, right? So, <laughs> so Zeph, um, we're really glad to have you here today. Uh, you coming here is a fulfillment of a personal dream of mine to kick a football off on kickoff Sunday. <laughs> Harry Gage came up to me and said, you've been talking about this for three years. Becca uh, made fun of me two weeks ago for never having done this. And so someone overheard this in the congregation and said, let's do this in style. I know Zeph Lee, and I want to introduce you to him. So anyway, Zeph, tell us, about the, um, tell us about a little bit about uh, the work that you're doing uh, for physical education. You are also a raider. I don't want to skip over that part. 
And, but um, since then, you have dedicated your life to helping people in the world, uh, especially these aren't, these aren't San Marino kids, are they? No. No. Um, <laughs> actually, I wanted to mention, it's a little weird how I got here. Um, a lady contacted me on Facebook named Ruby. <laughs> And she, I guess she kind of looked at a lot of my clippings and found out about my story. And then um, she asked me to do this. Yeah. So, of course, I've never met Ruby in person. I've only talked to her on the phone. And uh, then she forwarded Pastor James' number to me. I only talked to him once. Right? We text each other. Yeah. So I'm here. <laughs> I, I made it sound like we're best friends, but I think we are best friends. I tied that on your wrist, by the way. Don't ever forget that. So. So really weird. And then, go, and then going back to what you mentioned earlier about yeah. your young children. Uh, I have an 18-year-old and I have a 24-year-old. Uh, my son's a basketball player in high school. My daughter is a Navy, naval officer. Hmm. And um, it's absolutely true. They don't pay attention to you after that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. But, but the inspiration for what I do is because of my children. Um, I'm a physical education. In my past life, I was a professional football player. I played at USC, which was a great experience. Part of that story, which I won't talk a lot about today, is I was a fifth-string tailback at USC. For any of you that keep up with football, you'll, you'll understand. And by the way, I was drafted 30 years ago, 1986. Um, to be a fifth-string player, your chances of making it to the NFL is probably slim and none. So that's a whole other story about fate. Um, but, I, but I made it. And I got to hang around for five years with the Raiders. Went to Canada afterwards. After that, played arena football. That's another lifetime. Mm-hmm. In that experience, because a guy named Donald Corey, you guys probably heard of Usain Bolt. Well, before Usain Bolt, the greatest sprinter in Jamaican history was a guy named Donald Corey. And when I was at USC, I approached him and asked him to help me become faster. And he did it for free which a lot of trainers now charge a lot of money. So he did it for free, and, and after that experience with him, he helped me make it to the NFL. Um, I figured I'm going to help people. So from that point, I was at USC. I was 18. If there was always a younger person around me because they were enamored with me because I played football, I asked them some questions about what they wanted, and if they wanted help, I, I offered it to them. And it kind of started with that. After I became a Raider, I had my own community um, program where I just – Got a bunch of kids together. A lot of them were gang members. I, I got them to leave that life, and we would take them to football games. Um, after I came back from Canada, a friend of mine said, well, you're always doing this stuff. Why don't you just become a teacher? So eventually, I got my credential, became a teacher. I was a science teacher. They asked me to coach track, and then they asked me to be a physical education teacher, which I thought was beneath me because I had earned my degree in exercise science and physiology. I worked hard for that degree. I was proud of it. And I said, no way. I don't want to be a physical education teacher. My impression of physical education teachers were kind of like drill sergeants. And if, you know, a lot of us that are old school, when we think of physical education, we probably remember it in that way. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah. My physical education teacher wasn't like you. Different. Cool. But different kind of cool. That's good. That's good. That's good. Scary cool. But you're cool. (laughs) So anyway, I got into this profession and became a track coach, and I created my own track club after I coached for the school. And most of my kids, they were lower-income kids. Um, My group ended up being predominantly Latino. And um, with that small group, at least 10 of my kids were top in the nation. A lot of those kids now are 
about to graduate from college, hmm. and I'm real proud of that. Um, I've always believed this, that if I give back to other people, in particular young people with children, that my children will always be taken care of because of what I'm giving away. And, and now I work in L.A. Unified. I ended up at Norwood. I've been doing this physical education thing for about 20-plus years now. Um, I ended up at Norwood. We created this program where I included parents. I did a whole bunch of stuff that got recognized on a national level. And um, now I'm being sent everywhere to kind of implement this program. So now we've gotten a grant, a bigger grant in L.A. Unified, and we now service about 100 schools. Amen. So the story behind the story is this. My, my 18-year-old, who's one of the top basketball players in the country right now, he's 6'8", <laughs> right? You talk about having to deal with challenges and then figuring out what your path is in life. My kid had his left shoulder. Let me get this right. Yeah, he had his left labrum torn out about two years ago. Came back from that, still ended up being one of the top-ranked players. And just recently had a phenomenal summer playing club basketball and a kid intentionally yanked out his shoulder. So he just had surgery on Tuesday. And in spite of that, Mm. he still has all these major schools after him. He he only has one class that he needs to finish, and actually he could go to college in January. So we're trying to figure that out. But he he gets really depressed about things like that. And I say, look, you've done this before. God has absolutely blessed you. Because right now we have a school called Cross, Crossroads. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Crossroads, mm-hmm. but it costs about 40000 to go there. Yeah. And in spite of his injury, based upon his academic record, based on everything that they've heard about him because he's a good kid, they are willing to give him a scholarship to go there for even a half of a year if he decides to go to college mm-hmm. right away. Wow. So for in, any of you in this room that are going through anything, just understand that if you look at – what positive can come, and sometimes it's hard, trust me. When I was at SC, I cried a bunch because I was fifth string and I wasn't playing. Mm. But I kept the persistency of believing and working, and I've taught my children to do the same thing. And if you can hold on to that with whatever you're dealing with, something good will come out of it. I mean, it's hard hard to understand that when it's happening, but something good will come out of it. And, And I really appreciate what I do, even though I'm not rich or anything or famous. People look at football players and they always think, well, this is the first thing that most of my students ask. Well, aren't you rich? Why are you working here with us? You're like, I played in the 80s. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And 100,000 back then is not worth what it is now, right? Well, thank you for the testimony. And uh, I want to pray for you and all the parents in here, if that's okay. Um, As as we Also, one of the, the commitments we make as a church is that we're all going to parent every kid. And so when a kid comes into the church, we promise to watch after them and take care of them. And then we're going to go eat pancakes. Is that good? Um, and before we eat pancakes, we're going to kick a football down the street. And if you have a car, you can move it. But otherwise, I think he's a pretty good. He's a running back, but he said Not he can a kick a football. So, <laughs> all right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for the uh, dads and moms in here. We thank you that, um, that each one of us, dads, dads and moms that don't know what we're doing, that you remind us that the simple words of God is with you are enough for the kids. That reminding uh, a congregation or a community that God is with us and walks with us, that you, God, are with us every step of the way, that is enough. And that's the grace that gives us power to love our neighbors and power to do things that are just make no sense to the world. 
And so, God, I, I pray for Zeph. I pray for his kids. I pray for the hundreds and hundreds of kids that look up to him like a dad and seek his uh, guidance and encouragement. And I pray that he would be a role model for us to step out in new ways and to trust you that, that even though we may be fifth string in one place in our life, that you have us, a plan for us to be number one in the lives of one person in this world, if not two or 10 or 20 or 30, and to be the shining leader, the example, the passionate one for you in their life. And so help us to wear these strings on our wrists with boldness and uh, to walk forward with, your, with faith in you and, and, faith, and faith that's emboldened by your faithfulness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And